This podcast is brought to you by Uconnect, the creator of the first all-in-one virtual career center. Scale your impact and engage more students with a platform that puts all of your career resources in one place. Trust is enormously important because what we're really striving for, you know, in a, from a thought leadership standpoint is what might be referred to as referent authority, you know, that goes beyond just the that realm of responsibility to, you know what, there are smart people there. There are smart people that are thoughtful, analytical, strategic, and we want them to be involved in a broader array of decisions and thought processes we may be having at the institution. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Career Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Metzger, and today I am joined by Manny Contomanolis. He's the director of the Mignoni Center for Career Success at Harvard University. Thank you for being here, Manny. Thank you for having me, Meredith. I'm delighted to join the show. I'm so glad to have you, and, and I'm really excited to talk to you today about how career services leaders can become thought leaders on campus. You spoke about this a little bit during our Career Everywhere Roadshow event in Boston back in August, and I wanted to have you on the show so we can dive a little deeper into this topic. But before I get into my questions, Manny, is there anything else you'd like to add about yourself, your background, or your role there at Harvard? Well, I think I would just simply say that, you know, I've enjoyed every minute of every day I've been at Harvard, and now I'm starting my third year. I'm into my third year here. But it was such a good timing move for me, you know, having been involved in this space for as many years as I have and working at different institutions. It's like, oh, the perfect time to be at Harvard. You know, change is afoot as traditional as, um, you know, Harvard and the other Ivies have been. This is an exciting time to be in that space. So, um, you know, I feel really fortunate to be here working with amazing colleagues, working with amazing students, and being at uh, the center of many things, both good and, and challenging, that are happening in higher education today. Yeah. And you mentioned all of this change that's occurring, and I, I would be willing to bet that you are one of the change makers behind a lot of these, these positive <laughs> things. <laughs> well, let's just say I, my toes are dipped in a lot of waters. I believe it. I believe it. All right. So Manny, before I get into my more specific questions about our topic, I do want to kick us off with a question I ask all of our guests, and that's, what does career everywhere mean to you? <laughs> well, I think that's a great question. Um, let me answer it by saying, like, whenever people mention career everywhere, let me tell you how I feel when I hear it. And that is when the first time, you know, I heard the concept and, and understood what Uconnect was trying to, to accomplish with this you know, initiative, I had like this sense of positive energy, of excitement. And that's the way I always feel when we talk about career everywhere. You know, the idea of really making an impact, of doing it in a way that provides uh, equity of access and support that involves creating an ecosystem with all the partnerships and the collaborations that are associated with that. That's what career everywhere means to me. It's also the way it makes me feel, you know, which is that sense of excitement and energy and positivity. So, um, you know, I always enjoy talking about it because of not only because of its, its importance, but how it also makes me feel about the field and the opportunities and all the things we can accomplish together. I love that. I love that you specified particularly how it makes you feel because that's important. That's what's motivating and keeps us all in the game. That's right. Okay. 
Great. Well, now I want to kind of move into our topic today, which again is how career services can become thought leaders on campus. But I think before we dig into the how, I think it would be good to define what thought leadership means. So I'm curious, what does thought leadership mean to you and what does it look like? Yeah. Well, I think that's a really important question because, you know, when you say the term, I'm not sure people always understand exactly what you mean. So let me really kind of start by saying, what does it look like? How do you know when thought leadership exists? So first, I always like to talk about thought leadership at both the individual level and also the collective level or the organizational level. So thought leadership can be demonstrated by an individual or group of individuals that are on a career services team, or the office, the organization of career services can be viewed as providing thought leadership. So what does that look like? It means, or you see evidence of this, when career services is brought into the discussions, when there is a perception in the community that, you know what? Career services has something to say about this. We should make sure that we hear what they have to say. They should be at the table for discussions that touch on their areas of expertise because they can help us think it through. So really what any office wants within the organizational or institutional structure is to be thought of positively, to be considered an asset to the organization, not a liability and to really be on the cutting edge of what's happening, not just in terms of the institutional context, serving the the learners in that institution, working effectively with stakeholders and others, but also beyond that, that the individuals in the office are uh, thinking about the field broadly, that they can relate the trends to the specific needs within a given organization. That kind of sense of like that office is ahead of the wave. You know, they're thinking strategically, not reacting to situations. They're on top of their work. They're able to talk about it. They're able to talk about it in a broad way, in a meaningful way. They have data to support the types of things that they're doing. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's we have trust in the individuals and in the organization. And trust is enormously important. Because what we're really striving for, you know, from a thought leadership standpoint is what might be referred to as referent authority, you know, that goes beyond just the, that realm of responsibility to, you know what, there are smart people there. There are smart people that are thoughtful, analytical, strategic, and we want them to be involved in a broader array of decisions and thought processes we may be having at the institution. So in a nutshell, when you think about institutional brand, personal brand, you know, that thought leadership is an important dimension of that. Right. As you said, it's about building that trust and making people want to have you at the table. Exactly. Great. Well, now that we've kind of defined that a little bit, here's the big question. How can career services leaders become thought leaders on campus? Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I know when I discuss this topic with individuals or with a team of people in in career services, Sometimes the response that you get is like, oh, you don't know our faculty, or you don't know our deans, or you don't know our provost, or you don't know our president, or we don't have resources. It's usually all the reasons why it can't happen instead of how do we really think upon building on our strengths to make it happen. So one of the important things I always like to share at first is you can do this. 
I don't care what size office you are from a one-person shop to a big organization, you can absolutely establish yourself and your office as a thought leader. It takes time and effort. It takes focus. As I always like to say, the only difference between a flashlight and a laser is focus and intensity. And it also takes a plan. And that plan is really based on the specific idiosyncrasies or context within your institution, within the division of which you are a part. So as I think about the steps involved in becoming or demonstrating that thought leadership, there is something of a process, and it really begins with a commitment to doing so, a willingness to invest the time and effort in doing so, and a real thoughtful analysis about what makes sense and what how thought leadership might be defined within your particular institutional context. So how do you go about figuring out what that looks like in an institutional context? I think that there are some initial first steps that you need to take, right? First is you need to approach this with an open mind. In other words, you have to be prepared to maybe disclose, uncover, talk about, expose not only the things that an office does well or that you do well as a member of that office team or as the leader of that office team, but also maybe those gaps in service, gaps in uh, perceptions, you know, that kind of those things that maybe we don't do as well as we need to or as well as either our learners or institution need or want from us. So the first place is to kind of do a self-analysis, an office review to really say, what do we do well? What don't we do so well? And how do those things align with what's important at the college or university setting? So I often find that many of us in career services, especially think we are aligned with the institutional mission, values, principles that senior leadership knows exactly what's going on in our operations has a clear sense of how we fit in, but I often find that those are big assumptions. So consequently, beyond that self-analysis, that next step is really understanding from senior leadership, what are the expectations for career services? In other words, what are those things we really, really need to be accountable for? And secondly, how are we really tracking and assessing those things? And how are we telling our story on the basis of that? So there's kind of an alignment, if you will, what we're striving for and what you're trying to do through these processes is say, what's really important to the institution? What determines what's a successful career office at this institution? And within the structure that the office is in, maybe it's student affairs, maybe it's enrollment management, maybe it's academic affairs. What are the culture, the pressures, the kinds of things that the direct leadership of career services, in other words, who the leader reports to, what is their thinking? What are their values? What are their styles? There is a certain degree of leading up that's involved in becoming a thought leader, as well as leading your office and you know, leading your, you know, your office team. And by the way, I should clarify, I, I use the term leader here. Because I think there is an important role for the director or whoever the leader is of the office. But sometimes we think about thought leadership is only coming from that person. 
But I advocate that anybody within the career services organization, regardless of role, can demonstrate, you know, respectively thought leadership in their particular areas of responsibility. And that collectively, these various, you know, this kind of expertise is woven together into this idea of as an office, we have this incredible team that's staying abreast of what's happening, that is thinking about what those implications are for this particular setting, and is developing those relationships, those partnerships that where you can demonstrate that value proposition and demonstrate that expertise and thought leadership. So all of these kinds of process steps are setting that up to begin to think about specific strategies and opportunities in order to begin to demonstrate that thought leadership, prove that value proposition, and continue to, you know, kind of involve, evolve that visibility, that trust, and that integrity uh, within the institution. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of really great groundwork that you can lay to really become a thought leader. So now I want to dig into those strategies you mentioned. What are some of those strategies for becoming a thought leader? One of the most obvious ones include asking some hard questions, you know, making sure with your direct supervisor or the division area that oversees career services, as well as the senior leadership at an institution, the provost, the president, the chancellor, whatever the structure may be. I think it's really important to ask some hard questions. What is the most important thing career services can be doing from your vantage point? How do you describe a highly successful career services organization? This might seem to be basic work or something people kind of like, well, I'm not sure. Can I really have that conversation? I think you can, and I think you must, because again, that alignment is the starting off point to a specific strategy development. Once you have that alignment, in essence, what you're hearing from the most influential people is what are those things that you need to focus on? And that begins to form your strategy. So as an example, one of the things that we don't often think about in career services work is we have enormous access, much of it free, frankly, to all sorts of information about careers, career trends. Speaking broadly, not to mention what we know about the students at our own institutions or the students that we work with through our office. So one of the key strategies is the ability to take external trends, to leverage, if you will, the information that NACE regularly provides, that you can access through all sorts of foundation reports from the future of work from the various uh, publicly sourced newsletters, uh, recruiter information, workforce trends, to take that information and say, how does any of this relate to our institution, our learners, our setting? Once you can do that, once you can take that data and start to say, well, what are the implications for what we do here? There's two significant advantages. One, it helps inform the kinds of things you should be focused on for your learners. If you're working, for example, with students in the arts and humanities, the more you understand about that shifting marketplace, as an example, the more you understand about how hiring is changing and how talent is being evaluated, you can begin to tell a story about why arts, humanities, the liberal arts continue to be areas in demand, not as 
particular disciplinary areas, so to speak, but because of the skills and competencies and strengths that students develop as a result of pursuing that. Once you have these insights and you've related them to what's happening at your institution, now you can communicate this and articulate it. You can reach out to faculty and say, thought you might like to see this little white paper assessment of what we've been able to glean about trends in hiring in the arts and humanity. The ability to take that information together, to curate it, to kind of tell a story that's of interest to those faculty and other stakeholders and make it relevant to the particular institutional setting and related to the activities that the office is undertaking is incredibly powerful and is a very visible sign of thought leadership. I think another example of that is at the individual level, when team members are interacting with other stakeholders, when an office leader is in front of a group or serving on a committee, that ability to project that way of thinking, of thinking strategically, of thinking broadly, of relating external trends and topics and developments to the work that we're doing, that's a sign of a thought leader. That ability to be in those settings and to show that you can think beyond just the career implications, but fold the career implications into these various discussions, I think that's enormously important. You know, I'd mentioned earlier this idea of leading up, right? That's a big part of the kind of thought leader strategy. It's this understanding of, well, I have a lot to say about careers, but how do I really communicate that? Well, that messaging should really depend on the audience, right? So thought leadership, how you might take these insights and share them with students is different than you might share them with faculty, is different than you might share them with administrators, is different than you might share it with external stakeholders, board of overseers, boards of trustees, you know, employer partners. So that's why I said earlier that, it, you know, it takes time and effort to develop this. It doesn't just happen or you don't just walk in the door with it. But one of the specific things I like to tell people when dealing with senior leadership about these topics or in response to things that they want is I've learned never to say yes, but, but to always say yes, and. So it's very different if you say, yes, that's a great idea, but I don't know where we're going to find the resources, right? That has a certain way people react to that. To yes, and if we can acquire the resources, we'll be able to move this forward at a much faster pace or concentrate on this population. So I think this idea of yes and is kind of inviting that this is a partnership that we can work together and that I'm trying to find a way to make it work as opposed to trying to identify reasons why it's not going to work and have obstacles. So again, you know, as we think about strategies, it's leveraging all this information we have access to. And when I say leveraging, it's putting it in an institutional you know, context for our learners, our faculty, our community. It's being able to have that mindset and start to like coach ourselves about how we communicate these things, how we talk about them, how we present ourselves. 
as people who are knowledgeable, staying abreast of this. And of course, at the end of the day, no office or no individual can really be a thought leader if you're not demonstrating the value proposition. So that's what I like to say. You know, it's amazing how successful you can be if you can focus on getting things done and do it in a cooperative, positive way. It's amazing how successful you can be if you focus just on those two things. Just on being positive and, and cooperative. That's it's almost sad how hard it can be to find that sometimes. Yeah, unfortunately. And and you know, I I know many people who'll be listening to this will say, Yeah, yep, yeah, that makes sense, Manny, but the environment is working against me. I, I certainly appreciate and do not discount it. But I also think we could find reasons not to do things. It's pretty easy to find reasons not to do things or to be intimidated or daunted. But, you know, it's slow progress, even incremental progress is progress. And sometimes it's kind of like the way the ocean hits a certain section of a mountain. It takes a long time, but believe me, it carves out (laughs) that spot in the stone. And I think we really need to think about this as not something that's a sprint, but a marathon. And oh, by the way, when you do feel like you're a thought leader, that's also one of the most tenuous times because you don't just kind of achieve it like a merit badge and you're done. You have to constantly work at it because, you know, our field, the way recruiting is done, the nature of the whole hiring process is constantly changing. So part of that thought leadership is staying abreast of those things. And by the way, it's not just knowing what are the best practices in career services work or the ability to talk with institutional leaders about well, here's our benchmark institutions. We know what they're doing and we know what we're doing relative to them. I think that's necessary. It's not sufficient. What you also need to be able to say is, this is what's happening in the hiring and recruiting world. This is how those changes are affecting how we need to think. And that's why a good example of that is if we're really not in the career services world, we're not abreast of and conversant with this trend toward hiring for skills and competencies and understanding the shifts in certain industries and understanding the kinds of roles and the kinds of skills that are necessary for success. If we're not conversant with that and able to fold that into the discussion, in a way, we're kind of a one-trick pony. And that's not what thought leadership is, you know, is all about. So that ability to think on multiple planes, to be in the head of the recruiter, in the head of the career services person, in the head of those institutional stakeholders, understanding, forming those relationships, having those communication pipelines, combine all those things together, that's typically representative of thought leaders and and thought leader organizations. Do your students get terrible career advice from YouTube and TikTok? Give them access to better video content with Candid Career Plus. The YouTube of career videos, Candid Career Plus is an expansive video library with thousands of career-focused videos that cover a wide range of topics, interests, industries, advice, and more. And every video is sourced from best-in-class career content creators, including ADP List, Way Up, and many more. Learn more at goyouconnect.com slash candidcareerplus.
So it really sounds like to be a thought leader, you have to be like the ultimate connector, connector of people, connector of ideas, taking that external information, like you were saying, connecting it with the institutional information. Yeah, it just sounds like it's all about connecting people, ideas, things, and all of that. It is. I think that's a good way to capture it, Meredith. Remember, it aligns with the career everywhere concept, right? It's this idea of we, meaning the team, meaning me as an individual, meaning our office, it should be at the center of that ecosystem. We should be vital partners. The way I like to describe it to my team here is nothing should be going on relative to career activities that we are not either initiating partnering with or very minimally aware of uh, and understanding and supporting. Yeah, absolutely. That kind of is a nice segue into my next question, which is how can career leaders use their thought leader status to advance the mission of the Career Center? And, you know, I think that there's a number of ways where that thought leadership becomes an iterative process, right? You can continue to develop your office brand by being successful at meeting your goals, you know, clearly articulating those goals, making sure people understand why you're doing what you're doing, that contributes to thought leadership. Then when you have some of that thought leadership and you have those conversations about how those goals are shifting and changing, then it reinforces your personal and institution and, you know, office brand. So it's kind of like this iterative process that's constantly, you know, you're constantly working at and adjusting. But what's the goal of thought leadership? That's to advance, you know, your efforts as an individual, to advance the efforts that you might be advocating for on the part of individual members of your team or your team collectively. And it's certainly advancing the interests of your office. So once you have that trust, once you have that integrity, once you have that performance record, right, when there's conversations about how do we apply resources you know, which is very often in higher education world, a zero-sum game, right? There's prioritizing. Not everyone is able to get everything that they want. So priorities, investments are also not just what's important, what's a problem, but also what's going well that you want to continue to develop. So one of the tangible ways that thought leadership contributes to is the way the office and the team is positioned in the broader way that the university is thinking. For example, being pointed out as a center for excellence, as the office that accomplishes what needs to be done and does it well. All of these things influence funding support. They influence um, relationships and where career services can be involved or brought into discussions, especially when they kind of go beyond just career services to impact and touch on other areas of university life. It's that feeling of pride that the office feels collectively, but that individual team members feel for being part of that organization. It frankly, oftentimes helps you recruit talent to the organization because people go, wow, that's one of the offices that if you can get into that office, that's one of the offices you really want to focus on because they're doing amazing work. They're recognized by the university. They're held with respect. Those are the kinds of things, the kinds of people and the kind of organizations people want to be associated with. So you have those benefits, you know, as well. 
And so the impact can really be significant and well worth the time investment, uh, so to speak, in doing some of these things, which I know as I talk about it, people are like, oh my God, when am I going to do that? Doesn't he realize that I have a two-person office? And you know, again, that's all fair, but the reality is you have to work at it. Now, if this is not important to you or you don't feel the return on the investment of your time and energy and focus is worth it, well, that's obviously, you know, a decision everyone needs to make. But, you know, I would be hard pressed to really say, no, you shouldn't think about driving that thought leadership, you know, train because all these other things are more important or more front of mind. Right. Yeah. It sounds like it is of critical importance. So with that in mind and kind of what you were just saying, do you have any advice for career leaders about making time to really be purposeful about thought leadership? Yeah, I think that there's a couple of things. First of all, at both the individual and office level, you were really good at adding things on. I think we have to get a lot better at if we're going to add something on, what are we dropping? I think we have to be more purposeful about carving out thinking time. And I think that sometimes we feel, well, we can't do that. I have to be available to talk to students, or I have to be available to talk to my team, or I have to commit to these meetings. I think when it's important, you know, the adage, give a busy person something to do and it gets done. I think that is true in this case. I think that you have to carve out some time. You have to, by the way, also elicit support. You know, thought leadership doesn't have to be on one person's shoulder. You can have an an internal group that's focused on these kinds of issues. Sometimes there's an expectation that directors are good at everything and can do everything. I think that the reality is, you know, all of us feel like there are things we do well, but there are things that, hey, we can use some help and support and also things that, you know, are always better because of the diversity of perspectives and ideas and suggestions. So I think if you think about a thought leadership strategy, it isn't only on the back of one person. And I think one of the things to think about, again, to glean these benefits, to find that time is spread the wealth a little bit, you know, get a working group together to help, um, you know, you think through this to create another kind of regular time where you can get together to talk about these things. I also think like everything else, you know, doing good work demands time. And sometimes it demands some of our personal time. And I don't think that's asking too much of us as professionals, especially those people who aspire to bigger and better things or want more for their office or organization. You carve out a little time on the weekend, perhaps, to do a little research while something else is going on, to spend a little time in the evening or at the end of the day, or carve out 30 minutes or an hour in your schedule on a regular basis to say, let me do a little research. Let me read through some of these things that I've gleaned together and ask myself, what are the implications of this for the work that we're doing? And who in my organization would be interested in knowing this? One of the other strategies that I think helps build thought leadership are advisory boards, bringing faculty in, bringing students in, in separate efforts to, you know, continue to get feedback. You know, your ability to demonstrate that you actually care what your clients and stakeholders think, is enormously impactful. It gets a lot of respect in ways, you know, that isn't always obvious to us. But it also, again, leverages this ecosystem, this kind of career everywhere thinking 
that really becomes important in looking at different strategies and things that work specific, you know, to your office and to that institution. Yeah, I love that. It all just keeps coming back to this ecosystem idea and involving multiple perspectives, connecting multiple people across campus. I love it. I had a kind of a logistical question for you. So earlier you were talking about how it's really important for career leaders to stay up to date on like external trends so that you can connect them to what's going on at your institution. How do you stay up to date on those external trends? Do you have some specific places you go to learn more, to stay up to date? I'm just curious what that looks like for you. Well, you know, one of the trends in career services work that's been noticeable over the years is the kind of growth in affinity groups, benchmarking groups. Sometimes they're associated with athletic conferences. Sometimes they're associated with type of institutions. Sometimes they're regional or local. Sometimes they are national, as might be um, made possible through an organization like NACE or any of the regional career uh, organizations or other professional organizations. I find that is a rich source of information and I try and stay on top of that, right? You know, benchmarking groups are incredibly important and impactful. You know, uh, just using Harvard as an example, there is an Ivy Plus group. That's a tremendous way that we can all share information with one another, stay on top of trends, compare what's happening in one similar institution to another. So I think that's something any career services you know person can do. I think so membership and engagement in these professional associations. I love to stay on top of publicly available information. So the World Economic Forum, for example, is a great source of global trends on talent and talent development. It's amazing, by the way, how few people really spend time talking with their employer partners about trends and efforts. So I think whether that's through a Zoom call once or twice a year where you invite employers that work closely with the organization and say, just want to hop on a call and help me understand what are some of the trends that you're seeing? What do you think it's going to be like a year from now? How are things changing right now in your hiring patterns? Those kinds of things, sometimes we're able to talk about those topics deeply when employers are on campus or engaging with our teams. But I think you could make that more strategic and you know more common where you can carve out a time where people can do a little bit deeper dive, feel like they have a little bit more time to talk about you know those sorts of things. So I also find that there are a number of you know LinkedIn groups that are very easy to join all sorts of, you know, sources of that information that really vary. It could be very, very narrowly focused. If you're really interested in what's happening in engineering, let's say, or computing, or you want to think much more broadly about global trends in hiring, there's literally, there are literally free resources that any, you know, kind of search, you know, effort would immediately glean to you and, you know, obviously, just like we encourage students to do their research and, and we help them curate that and figure out what makes sense and what doesn't, I think anyone in the career services space can do that and begin to identify those sources that are frankly closest to what really aligns with the kind of interests of their learners, their institution, what's kind of front of mind, you know, for them. So that I find I've spent a lot of time doing that. 
you know, I spend a lot of time following workforce efforts, uh, for example, at Georgetown um, or Northeastern University or a national and global forums like the World Economic Forum, as for example. Harvard has uh, research centers in, a, uh, in this particular space, um, you know, the future of work, the future of talent, that white papers are regularly developed and made available. I tend to be a little bit of a geek on staying on top of those things because I always find, by the way, and I think this is an important part of that thought leadership, there's knowledge to be gleaned everywhere. I'm working at an Ivy Plus institution, but there's a lot of things I can learn from Munker Hill Community College, which is right down the road, if I have an open mind in thinking about that. So um, I do think that's how you can shift your paradigm. It's affirming and positive when you're talking to institutions like you and, you know, following those kinds of patterns. But not everybody can do what works at Stanford or what works at Michigan or what works at Harvard. So I tend to feel like we learn broadly. And sometimes the best insights we get are from those areas where we would never expect it to get those insights because it's a different paradigm and way of thinking. Yeah, I love that. It sounds like it's really just about being purposeful and making time and space to just find that information and think about it, analyze it, figure out how it applies. And that, you know, data is is so important, but data alone is not enough, right? We now collect all sorts of data. Institutions collect all sorts of data. We know a lot of things about the students uh, that we serve. If you use any platform, in today's modern career services world, you have insights, right? You have reporting capabilities. That's great, but it's the analysis of that that separates the wheat from the chaff. You know, just dumping data is, is meaningless. It's making sense of that data that really makes a difference. And the other part of that is telling a story. So once you have the data and you could be thoughtful about it and analyze it and say, well, what am I seeing? What is this telling me? Or what kinds of questions is this answering or raising for me? Once you have those thoughts, then you could say, well, okay, so what are the implications? How can I communicate this? And who would want to understand this? And who would be interested in it? Those additional steps that kind of demonstrate that. That's, you know, clear demonstration of thought leadership. So what I'm hearing is that thought leaders are good storytellers. Yes. Once again, it's amazing how successful you can be if you're a good storyteller. Like I say to, I say to our team, I don't want to start a conversation with, well, anecdotally, I can tell you, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You know, it's very, very important to know what is important. Remember what we said earlier, understanding what's important. Once you understand what's important, then you need to know what you have to track. And you need to know what kind of story you need to tell, you know, relative to that. Because again, it all goes back to what's important, what's driving the institution, what are those areas of strength, but what are those areas of opportunity? And, you know, when you put all those together, all of a sudden, the kind of roadmap begins to become more and more clear. And then again, if you accept some of these principles I'm suggesting, ways of thinking, you know, your kind of paradigm about, you know, what you need to do and, and how you need to go about uh, committing to that thought leadership, 
you know, all of a sudden things become much clearer about what's important, how you need to spend your time and the stories you need to tell. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious, Manny, what results have you seen there at Harvard as you've worked to become a thought leader? You know, I think I was fortunate in many ways to come into Harvard at a time when they were ready for some change. Like many institutions, you know, there's a hubris. You have to find the right time for change. And fortunately for me, I came to Harvard at that right time. I came to Harvard with a, you know, a fair amount of experience that made me an attractive candidate, but that also gave me some gravitas, you know, kind of walking in the door. Well, you know, I was going to leverage that for as long as I could. But what really turns the corner, I, I think, is, you know, having that good head start, but really sticking with it and leveraging it, spending time with faculty, you know, doing listening tours, doing my homework before I met with someone, talking with others, like, well, so where's this person at? Like, what are the important things? What are you hearing? Or what are the perceptions of what our office does or doesn't do? So part of that is listening. Part of that is doing your research so that you know the questions to ask as you get to these people. And part of it is just an openness to say, yeah, I'm happy to work together with you to figure out how we might be able to address that or enhance that or create that or develop that. I think that kind of can-do approach was really helpful to me in terms of, you know, establishing that, that kind of thought leadership within a Harvard context. You know, I think here, like many Ivy institutions, like probably like all institutions, you know, relationships with the faculty are important. So being able to identify the challenges academic departments and programs have, especially relative to career services and outcomes and student support, being able to glean those and being able to develop the strategy to address them was really, really important part. Sometimes faculty think, well, nobody ever asked me, so I feel obliged to tell. Or sometimes, especially at certain institutions, there's a feeling like, well, we can't talk to the faculty about that. You know, we can't talk to administrators about that. So getting in front of groups, you know, was a key part of the strategy for me, and I think was very influential. I think the other thing was having a very clear sense of what are we about and how is it different. So one of the things um, I did here was uh, was to develop essentially a one-pager about the Mignoni Center for Career Success. This is our mission. These are the principles that we employ in achieving our mission. Here's the goals that we're responsible for. And here's our values in doing that work. And what I found was that that was incredibly powerful in helping people kind of get a reset or a refresh on, you know, the goals of our office, what we were trying to achieve. And, you know, the ability to articulate that in a way, people could say, ah, okay, so this is really what you're focusing on. This is really what you're trying to do. This is what's different, I think, is an essential part of that strategy. So that has served me well at Harvard, and I suspect it would serve anybody equally well, you know, in their particular uh, settings. Is that one page or something that we could share with the audience by chance? Sure, of course. I'd be happy to pass it along. Okay, great. Yeah, so for anyone watching or listening, I'll be sure to include a link to that in the show notes so you can check it out. 
Uh, well, Manny, I know we're kind of coming up towards the end of our time, so I want to be mindful of our time here. But is there anything else that you would like to add? Any final advice you'd like to give to anyone watching or listening? I know we've covered a lot of ground. I think the two things maybe I'd like to kind of close with. One, to affirm that you can do this. You really can. And certainly, I'm absolutely convinced that you can make a difference at your institution. And that's really what you're striving for. There's no one single kind of strategy to use. There's no reason in my mind to look at certain institutions and try and model after them. I think we can learn from them, but no matter what the institution, no matter what the office, you can begin to you know, think about these strategies. You can begin to move towards that along that thought leadership continuum, if you will. So I, I really want to reinforce that because it is doable. Secondly, you don't have to be alone in attempting this. Here we are. I'm sharing some of my insights. I'm always happy to talk to individuals about this topic. So are many of my colleagues who have been kind of doing the same thing in their particular settings uh, across the entire spectrum of higher education. So I think that, you know, when we're undertaking these kinds of efforts, it's really important to seek out, you know, others, you know, to kind of create your own network of people who can help you think through it who can be resources to you, uh, who can help you through those really frustrating moments. You know, because this is all really, in many ways, change management. And Lord knows, we've all been through a lot of changes. <laughs> so being able to share and find others to kind of help you think through that is something maybe I wasn't as explicit about. But, you know, I want to make sure to make that point because I think that makes the doing of it a little bit more accessible and a little bit less intimidating. So on that note, if people would like to connect with you or learn more from you, where's a good place for them to do that? I always invite uh, people to reach out to me through LinkedIn or, of course, just email me directly. Uh, you know, like most of us, we're, we're not hard to find. And I always welcome those kinds of inquiries. I've, I've always felt fortunate in my career that others have helped me and have looked out for me. So I've always felt one of the things um, that I should do is pay that forward. And um, I think anyone who knows me knows that I spend a lot of time talking with people and trying to help them think through their various challenges or at least be there and try and be supportive of them. Um, you know, I just think it's a value all of us should have. You know, it's one that my father taught me. You know, he said, never forget who you are. And always remember that you should always be lifting a hand to help somebody else. I love that. That's beautiful advice. All right. So at the end of every interview, I like to do this answer a question, leave a question thing. So I'll ask you a question that our last guest left for you, and then you will leave a question for the next guest. So our last guests, uh, Carrie Spitzy and Steve Russell of Bowling Green State University, left this very important question for you. Coke or Pepsi? <laughs> <laughs> so I have to tell you with all honesty that I did my master's degree at Bowling Green. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. I love my two years experience there. And I certainly think very fondly of the place. And I will also tell you, I know that as an institution, they were involved in the Coke-Pepsi wars. But my honest answer is neither. But if I had to answer it, if I had to pick my poison between the two, it would definitely be Coke. Nice. Love it. So Manny, what question would you like to leave for the next guest? So I think in, maybe in a lot of ways, we've been talking about leadership in this conversation. 
So maybe that's a good segue for your next guest on the podcast by asking them that question of what was the single best piece of leadership advice you ever received? Ooh, I like that. That's a good question. Well, I'm happy to offer it up. And you know, I'll be tuning in because I'll be interested in hearing what the next person says. Yeah, that's a really good question and a big question too. I love it. All right. Well, Manny, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. This was such a fun conversation full of just really thoughtful, tangible nuggets that I know our audience is going to going to take and be able to use in their day-to-day work. So just thank you so much again. Well, thank you, Meredith, for having me as a guest. And uh, I too always enjoy these conversations and I recognize this is not an easy thing and there's nuances and levels to it. So I appreciate that. That's why I want to always be sure that we're continuing to talk about this broadly and that where I can be a resource to people uh, about it, I'm always happy to do so. So thanks so much. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you again and have a great rest of your day. Same to you. That's all for this episode of Career Everywhere. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to hit subscribe and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next time. Bye.